0: As the buses whiz past on Auckland's Queen Street, small crowds gather to look into the windows of its famous department store, Smith & Coeys. Children and adults are mesmerised by the animated puppets telling the story of Christmas. Every year, the displays change according to the book they're based on. This year, it's the 12 Elves of Christmas, starring a sunglass-wearing, weightlifting Santa. Little do the viewers know that thousands of hours of toil have gone into the window displays and they've also had to overcome the odd little disaster.
1: We had an infestation of giant Australian ants in one of the modules and they were alive but luckily we saw it.
0: I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today the detail goes behind the magical Christmas windows to meet the creators. It's a story that takes us to the hills of Noosa, Queensland, where the puppets are handmade by two Kiwis, but even further back to a little boy who hid his stutter by not speaking until he discovered puppets. So let's get to the farm in Australia to find out more from David Poulton.
2: Hold on, I'll try and get my Kiwi accent coming right. <laughs> well, we've lived here, 50, we've lived here 50, 56 years. Well, we've lived out of New Zealand 56 years. And to be honest, my heart's there, somewhere in Northland, you know. Oh,
0: that's... that's... Where I want
2: my bones to end up there. You know, in a former life, I was a performer, a puppeteer, and I used to go to New Zealand schools. So chances oh. are anyone who is, say, under 60 years of age may have seen me at their school when they were children.
0: And you're still making puppets now, and oh, that is what no, you... Yeah. That's your role in the window yeah. displays at Smith & Coe's. Yeah,
2: yeah, correct, correct, correct. So, first of all, it's not just me, it's my wife, Sally. Sally's the chief animator. She gets all the beautiful movements. And Sally also has a very keen artistic eye. And we also employ a scenic artist. So a scenic artist is someone who paints faces or whatever, you know. They're a fine artist.
0: So take me back to the beginning. I mean, is it about coming up with a theme... And it must be much earlier in the year because this must be very oh, painstaking yes. work.
2: Oh, yes. There's 2,500 hours work in those windows <gasps> because everything is bespoke. Everything is handmade. So basically how it comes about is that Smith & Co, Kevin Broadford, who's a very artistic man himself, he chooses the book. And these days we have publishing companies lining up to give us the book because it promotes the book and the artist so well. Mm. And our first step is to make the puppets. So the puppets represent well over 100 hours each because they're handmade and they're sculpted and they're painted and they're wigged and they're bodied and they're dressed. And then at that point, we put the strings on them and we animate them. Some of the limitations we have is that you can't do a circle because the windows just aren't large enough to create a circle. So the action is is really in one, one scene, and you can't take a puppet off and on in a different entry-exit point, because the windows technically aren't large enough. Now, some of the only stores in the world that can do that are maybe in Paris and New York, where they have triple-the-size windows, and they will get a sequence going. And also... Some of those stores spend a million or two pounds, dollars, or euros on their windows, but for New Zealand, we achieve really quite phenomenal results in what we call a um, you know a fixed place window. We call it theatre a box set. So a box set is 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 when you're confined, when mm-hmm. you can't take things off stage and on stage, because remembering our background is theatre. So to us, we create in miniature theatre.
0: What a lovely thing to do! And so, where well, does it nuts? <laughs>
2: oh, does no, it? no, it is. Look, it is. You go to bed and you think, well, I haven't hurt anyone, today. I haven't done anything wrong, and the end result is that you bring quite a lot of happiness to a lot of people. And, and the, and the um, sort of the ego thing is, you become part of someone's memory. Now, they don't remember David Poulton or Sally Poulton, but they remember the, what they saw. And I meet people now who saw those windows 17 years ago who were then kids and now young adults. And you meet, and I say, where are you know, so we're from, Auckland? Oh, yeah, yeah. ever seen the Christmas? Oh, yeah, I used to get my mum, dad, do take me. And they can tell you 15, 16, 17 years later what, what the window was about. Oh. Amazing. Why does it drive you nuts? Oh, no. I mean, that's just, well, no. The logistics. It becomes a twi- well, well, hold on. It becomes a 24 hour thing when you're creating them. You can't help thinking, you don't think of much else. You're just trying to work through the challenges. And and so, accumulating. Yes. And you and, wake up at three o'clock in the morning and say, oh, I know how to do that.
0: And you're actually doing the making yourselves at, at your place out there, outside of Noosa? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. On our little farm, yeah, um, we have a big shed. We have a, a five hundred square metre shed, and then we have a, a standalone art studio where we do the fine work in the art studio, which is the size of a four car garage. And um, we can actually set all the windows up in that. So we do the we do the big hard woodwork work and the engineering in the other shed, and then when we get to the fine stage, we come into what we call our studio.
0: Is any of this made on the machine or are you actually hand-carving these puppets?
2: No, we actually sculpt them. We sculpt them. So what you do is you you create a ball and you put over it. Now, there's some wonderful products around and the product we use comes from Japan and it's called paper clay and it's a mixture of paper mache and clay. And the Japanese use it to make dolls. You know, they're lovely porcelain-looking dolls. Mm. And once it's hardened, and then you bake it in in an oven, and it becomes brick-hard. And then you then you can carve that. But we tend not to carve. We tend to sandpaper. And also, you 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 sculpted it very close to the final shape.
0: And then you've got a specialist who
2: paints them. Yes, we've got a very wonderful ex-New Zealand painter. You wouldn't believe this. Everyone who works with us is oh. Kiwis. Oh. And she, she's a fat, her name is Angela, Angela Davis. And Angela comes from Hamilton, but she's lived in Australia and Canada for a long time. And she is a full-time artist. That's her job. So she works for us about half, half of her year. She paints for us.
0: And then, David, how do you get them from your garage in Queensland to the shop windows on Queen Street?
2: Oh, first of all, we wrap all the puppets in bubble wrap so nothing shakes about, and then we put a plywood casing around them, and then they go into a 40-foot container, and the container comes to our house, and we have a forklift, so we lift them up and put them in the container, strap them off, and then they go to Brisbane, and we await a ship, to go to Auckland, and then they come off in in Auckland. Usually we try and get them there three to four weeks before, just in case the ship doesn't go to Auckland, just in case they miss the container. I mean, that's the nerve-wracking part of the whole journey, that the ship will actually take the container off. Because we have had in the past the ship. Coming to Auckland, they didn't take container off, and it went back to Taiwan. <gasps> and it Comes back again, and we got it like the night before. Oh my god! So that so so, so that last bit of transportation is where you think, oh my, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Anyway, it, it has got there, and Smith and Coe's, led by Kevin, will unload them and put them in the windows, and then. I normally come to Auckland to undo them and get them going. And I also have two great friends in Auckland that I went to school with at Kelston Boys High School and Glen Eden Primary School. And these two guys are sort of my age, so they're lucky they're retired. And they, well, when I say retired, you know. And so Ralph Levington, and Ralph has become quite a technical person, and he, he can fix anything. And Philip and they, Philip Olsen, and they and these two guys look after them in Auckland.
0: In case case they need a bit of fixing or something.
2: Yeah, look, 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 you can't help it when something's come across the sea in a container and there's definitely a bit of rocking on the boat and there's banging as you unload the container and load it and whatever. And also they're mechanical. You know, there's probably a 1,000 moving parts in each window. Gee. Well, maybe 500 moving parts, so, you know. And it's string. They're all string. So a string will break, unfortunately. And the secret is, like anything... You don't turn it off. So you leave it on 24 hours of a day. I also, in a former life, was a pilot, and I used to fly myself around the outback of Australia doing puppet shows for Aboriginal kids in their schools and on all their settlements. So we learned that when an aeroplane is flying in the air, it's incredibly reliable, but when it's on the ground, that's when things go wrong. So the secret with the uh, kind of the windows is never to turn them off. I'm letting you know
0: a few trade secrets today, aren't I? Yeah, you are. I'm at Smith & Coe's now to meet the special projects manager, Kevin Broadfoot. He's been here more than four decades, but much prefers to be behind the scenes. So I'm heading through all the festive displays in the store, up the escalator, then the lift, to a quiet spot with a view over the rooftops of Queen Street.
1: The last time I see the windows is late August, very early September, when the windows are basically 90% finished. So I shoot over to Noosa and, again, spend three to four days with David just on finishing touches, um, which I know he you know, really looks forward to because, again, you know, when you're working on something creative, you can get so close to it that you don't sort of see you know, where there may be a few gaps or they just might be needing something, needs a bit of fine-tuning. So I'll come in, I guess, with fresh eyes, you know, book in hand, and we will go through it, like, with a magnifying glass, basically, to make sure everything is fine. So,
0: Do you actually, sorry, do you actually mm, look at it with a magnifying glass? I, or not? Well,
1: You're, what I... It's a bit <laughs> of an exaggeration. No, well, I mean, we go through it Absolutely detail by detail. I sit on a low stool um, so that I'm the same height as a five-year-old. So I'm trying to look at the windows through five-year-old eyes. So that's the perspective that I like to look at in that late stage of the window development. Yeah. And that's the last time I see the windows until they arrive here in Auckland um, sort of late-ish October. All sealed on a truck <laughs> and wheeled into the windows, so once the fronts come off on that night, that's when I see them again.
0: Right, so, what, yeah. what night is that?
1: It takes David um, two to three days, basically, to un- open everything up. He usually is here on the Tuesday of after labour weekend, mm-hmm. and then we open the windows officially on the Friday of that week.
0: What's that feeling like? It's, it's
1: nerve-wracking, to be honest. Yeah.
0: Even after all these years? Yeah, I,
1: I don't know what it is. You know, we've made the choice of the story. I've seen it in its development. It's looking good. But what's the end product? You know, what's the reaction going to be? Those are the, the nerves. Where and the nerves is... start to jangle. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: What is the reaction?
1: Well, I stand on the footpaths for a couple of hours um, once the windows have been opened. And even though it's... What we say is just a quiet opening. We don't do a big fanfare with it. It's like a magnet. As soon as people see the curtains are down, the lights are on, the puppets are moving, it's just phenomenal. Um, people coming up to the windows, huge, huge smiles on their faces. You know, um, the worries of life seem to have just disappeared the minute they've seen these windows. They get out their phones, they start filming, they start videoing, they start doing selfies in front of the windows. You know, and then once the kids start coming through and seeing the windows, it's just the way they get up to the windows, their hand pressed against the glass, their nose is right on the glass, and the excitement is they start discovering all the little things that we've put there for them, you know, as, as part of the job. Um, and, you know, the, the grown-ups that are there reading the story for the kids um, as they progress through, it's, um, it's lovely.
0: What is the most difficult part of, of this whole process for you?
2: Oh, all right, well, sub- subjectively, making the animation, making the movements believable, and that's where Sally, my wife is incredibly clever. Sally would have to be one of the best string animated in the entire world, seriously. In 1972, I won a Gertens Institute award and I went to study puppetry at Stuttgart University with the world's best puppeteer, a man called Albrecht Rosa. And Sally came along to most of the courses that I did and she, she, was, she was the best student in the whole class. Mm. So here I won the scholarship, but she was the best student.
0: And tell me, how did you get into puppetry in the first place?
2: Okay, well, let's wind the clock back 70-odd years or more. And my parents immigrated from England in 1952. We came to New Zealand on a ship called the Dominion Monarch. And while we were on the ship, I developed quite a bad stammer and stutter. So when we arrived in uh, Auckland and I started school, I stammered and stuttered, quite really, quite severely. And in the first three weeks, I basically um, I got teased. So I decided that I would stop speaking. And the idea was, if if I didn't speak, no one would tease me. So that worked out well, and uh, so I didn't say a word. So I just sat up the back of the class, and everyone said, "Oh, yeah." That's David E. Diffin's foot talk. And then um, in year three of school, I had a brand new teacher. And her name was, or um, well, she was called Miss Walton. And Miss Walton had this, she was told she was a young teacher. I think she was, it was her first job at Glen Eden Primary. She was told she was going to have a boy in her class who, who was a elected mute. Mm-hmm. So she bought a puppet and put this puppet on my hand first day of school and asked the puppet to make a morning talk. And the puppet did. I spoke for a puppet, so my parents obviously got me puppets, and we grew up, you know, in those days without a television or anything. So people did lots of their own entertainment. So my mum and dad and my older brother, we all started to do puppet shows, mainly for me, and that's how I began. And I and so I used this puppet in my class for for. And, and I always spoke for that first year through a puppet. So if I needed to say something to class, the puppet was on my hand and, and that who spoke. And then basically, after about a year, I started to speak myself, but I still stammered very badly. But when I, I had a puppet in my hand, I didn't, or when I acted, I never stammered. And that's how I got into puppetry. And then when I left school, I went to it for an airline called Teal which is now called Air New Zealand, Mm -hmm. and I met Sally, wife, and Sally was a secretary at Air New Zealand, and I was a clerk, and um, Sally came from quite a good musical family, all all her sisters were good at music, and her parents and whatever, and so we we started to do shows together with Sally and I, mainly, you know, like Christmas parties and parties, kids' parties, and we decided we'd get married and we decided we'd become entertainers. So after our wedding, we gave our jobs up at Air New Zealand and we took our puppets and we came to Sydney, Australia, where we got work almost instantly as puppeteers. And then we toured the whole of Australia through an organisation then called the Arts Council, and I worked for them for nearly 40 years. And that was mainly school touring. And then we also branched out, and we went to New Zealand and Canada, Malaysia, Singapore, Japan, Hawaii, uh, West Coast America, England, and we uh, toured ever since. And that's how I. And then, and then, I guess what happened was um, I got to a point in my life where I was sick of living in motels Mm. and travel. It was marvelous, but it was awful. I was lonely. And I had this quite beautiful wife at home. And my kids had just left home and I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm living in a motel by myself, so she's at home. And the worst year of touring, I had 46 weeks away. So I just decided within 12 months I would finish all my contracts and retire and become a puppet animator. Hmm. So our first contract was with David Jones and our second was Smith & Cowie's.
0: And the rest is history. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Kevin Broadfoot and David Poulton. Mā te wa.